Canucks Central Monday. It's Dan Richo Satyar Shah from the Kintech studio. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. Canucks will continue through on their eastern road swing as they uh, head to Pittsburgh. Later on this week, they'll go through Florida and Carolina to close out the five-game roadie. But yesterday, it kicked off with a 7-4 loss to the Winnipeg Jets at another game where the Canucks show flashes of doing things well, but another game where the Canucks show a complete incapability of defending in their own end, in transition, all over the ice. Yeah, I mean... and it's funny because the big topic of conversation, one of the big ones, especially later on, was Elias Pettersson, you know, stick toss. Yeah. And but people left out the context that it was after, you know, he had a couple of chances and missed <laughs> those chances point blank, and that's why he was frustrated. It wasn't yeah. like it was, I'm I'm tired of this or whatever. It's not because we're losing. It's because I had a chance to score. Yeah. Well, I mean, the losing plays. I'm sure it plays yeah. a part into it, but without the context, it, it looks a lot different than how it, it was perceived. And you can look at the goaltending as well and say, hey. Uh, it wasn't good enough, and I don't think it was last night. I don't think the goaltending was good enough. But at the same time, if it wasn't for Delia early, that game would have been three or four nothing in the first ten minutes, yeah. and and that's where you kind of get the disconnect between the goaltending wasn't good enough. But if it wasn't for Delia, the game would have been blown out of completely blown wide open in the first ten minutes anyway. So, so what you're saying you is multiple things can be true at the same time. Yes, that is what I'm saying. That is what I'm saying. It's one of those things. It's one of those things. Uh, Sat's favorite line, of course. Uh, Yeah, Canucks weren't good enough defensively, and they didn't get great goaltending. Uh, Both things were true of yesterday's game, and that generally doesn't, you know, that's how you end up giving up seven goals in a hockey game with none of them being on the power play and none of them being an empty netter. No, but but like I said, on the positive side of everything, they're not really trending towards the playoffs <laughs> anyways, and they're behind last year's point pace. They were two points ahead of where they are uh, this season last year, and they still and that still wasn't good enough. So that means you have to go on a crazier run the rest of this season to even replicate what they did last year and do even more to actually make the postseason. And what are they showing yeah. <laughs> that leads you to believe that's at all attainable, and it's not. But they have the seventh worst point percentage, mm-hmm. seventh worst record, and a bottom five finish is well within reach. It is. Uh, the, the way that this is trending, um, you know, there's not a lot of positives to take right now from, from this team. And the way that they are playing, there's a lot that's going on and a lot that could keep this trending in that direction. And it starts with the captain. I was, uh, I got back to beer league hockey last night. Oh, yeah. And um, first time since the holidays, we had a couple of, like we had a game canceled because of the snowstorm, you know. So it's it's been a while since I've seen the boys, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I get like get to get to the rink and everybody's asking about Bo. So you know, at, the whole room is just talking about Bo. So like, last year at this time, everybody was asking you about yeah, JT. Couldn't couldn't go anywhere. <laughs> going to like summer barbecues and people were like, mm, what's happening with JT Miller? Gen gender reveal parties. <laughs> gender reveal parties. Yes, that's uh, what it was. Uh, the the partner was more interested in JT Miller's <laughs> status as opposed to the status of their unborn baby and what gender it was going to be. Yeah. So um, that kind of tells you about the level of intrigue Canucks fans have around the future of some of their most notable hockey players. Uh, turned out to be a boy. Shouts to Vinny. Oh, yeah. Oh, I had a boy, uh, Vinny. <laughs> but um, in the summer, it was all JT Miller. Like, what's going to happen with this guy? When are they trading him? What are they going to get for him? All that. And then 
Now it's become what's happening with Bo Horvat. He's now up to 29 goals sat. We're hearing more and more about what different interested parties there are. Mm-hmm. Frank Saravalli did a really good profile up at uh, Daily Faceoff. He's going to join us uh, in the back half of this hour. But the big question is, are they any closer or how far are we away from the Canucks having a decision made on what to do with the captain? So I do believe it's getting a lot closer, mm-hmm. you know, and I think right now the biggest factor is going to be how the trade market develops over the next few weeks here, leading up to the All-Star break and coming up afterwards. And I know Dolly Walls mentioned the January 25 date because Pat Morris will be in town because of obviously the junior hockey events being going on here. So there's going to be a lot of agents in town. So he'll be here. And that's a natural time, it looks like, for discussions to be had in person at the very least. And hey, that could very well be the case and it's going to happen. I wonder if it even happens before that, depending on how the market develops. Right. And one thing that is happening now, I believe, is the Canucks are receiving more and more calls on Bo Horvat by interested hockey teams. Because those interested hockey teams are gaining enough cap space as the season goes on here to be able to actually make real offers and have real discussions that can perhaps get somewhere in the next couple of weeks. Because there's a few teams now that could strike if Vancouver is willing to retain some salary on Bo Horvath's expiring contract. It's um, it, it's one way that they can maybe squeeze every ounce of a bigger return out on, on their captain. You know, he scored 29 goals. Uh, he is, as it stands right now, especially with O'Reilly being uh, on injured reserve with a broken foot, Uh, Dylan Larkin still seemingly remaining with the Detroit Red Wings, or at least that is the feeling everybody seems to have on that situation, even though there is not a contract in place for Larkin, who's also a pending unrestricted free agent. But Bo is having an incredible year. He's always had a great reputation around the league. And the Canucks are in almost an impossible position to keep their captain with the situation is as it is. It is. So, you know, uh, Ben Bastron, our producer, he was asking us uh, before the show, like, what, what's the likelihood of yeah. uh, Bo Horvath getting traded? And I put it at 60-40. So I still think that there's a sizable chance that Bo Horvath comes it's back. It's not a foregone conclusion. Yeah. So, And, you know, I've been mentioning for quite some while that there will be one more run at it, a, a real discussion. The question just becomes, as Horvath scores more and more goals, and the closer you do get to the deadline also to free agency, the more you wrap your head around leaving and maximizing. And maybe he's gotten to a point where it's like, Hey, you know what? Yeah. I can get what I want. I can go somewhere else. Maybe that's what's best. So the offer the Canucks make or the other foot they put forward here at some point, is it even going to be enough to change anything? Right. And, and I think that the nature of the offer is really going to give us an indication of how serious they are about their desire to keep Bo still. Cause you hear them talk about it. I've heard similar things when I ask about it, but how genuine is that? I think we're getting very close to finding that out. And like the teams that I look at that are interested in Bo Horvat, we keep hearing the same ones always, right? Colorado. Now we spoke to AJ Heffley uh, last week who covers the Avalanche about their interest. And as much as yes, they could be in on it, their MO is also not to go all in on one player. It's yeah. to make a few different moves. And they feel like they have a lot of pieces in place that maybe they don't need to go that high. They to did, go and acquire a player. And they did spend a good amount of prospect capital last year. They did. Right? So 
Um, not as deep of a pool. They also, you know, they don't have a two, uh, two, three, or four round draft pick this year. So, you know, it's a little bit of a different conversation with Colorado. And you also have to wonder, you know, which of these teams that could be interested in Horvat have that big piece. Yeah. Because as we know, when we get to deadline season sat, the trades tend to look the same. Yeah. We've talked about this a lot. And even Frank Saravalli mentioned it uh, in his profile with Bo and went through some of the comparables. If he ends up getting traded as a rental, Mm -hmm. it's kind of the Claude Giroux mold, right? A first round pick, a later round pick. And a good prospect. And a good prospect. Like Owen Tippett's not a star prospect, but this year with the Flyers, he has 12 goals and, and 21 points. And I mean, he's showing that he's capable. Maybe he can be a good second line scorer. Yeah. Right? Which, which is, hey, it's valuable. But is it really what you're looking for? And hey, if that's all you can get, you make the deal if you can't resign him, of course. But if that's all you're getting, this will probably drag out closer to the deadline. What's going to make it happen over the next little while is, is if, if a team is actually willing to give you that one player Vancouver is looking for. Who wants to get it done right now? Yeah, because the teams you mentioned, and Seattle's been thrown in the mix as well. We talked about that last night, yesterday on the pregame show. We talked about it on the postgame show. Yeah. And, you know, Bick mentions, I mean, look at Seattle's cap situation. Their cap space is accru- is, has accrued to a point where in about a week or so, Vancouver retains half the salary on both. They can make a trade. Yep. So all of a sudden, you start looking at teams that are crewing cap space and which teams are interested. And I think a long list of teams are interested in Bo Horvat. He's one of the best trade pieces available this year. He checks a lot of boxes for what teams are looking for this season. And if all it takes is a first-round pick, a, a second-round pick maybe, and, and a prospect they don't love, like a B prospect, I think Seattle would be in, in on it. For sure, they would yeah. be on be in on it in on it, and I think and a team that has been mentioned in the past that I also think would be in on it for that type of price is the Minnesota Wild. They need a centerman. They've been linked by Frank and others, wondering if they could be interested in a guy like Bull Horvat. Is, is somebody willing to give you a good prospect? Yeah, because that's what's going to expedite the deal. And if that's if that gets put on the table, I think we get a bow decision. Yeah, maybe well ahead of the dead deadline. But that's what where it comes in. Because all these teams, I think, are willing to give you a first-round pick. They're willing to do the Claude Giroux price. Yeah. But do you get more than that? And then it, then it becomes like, well, okay, well, which one of these good prospects do we like the most? Exactly. And that's probably, you may as well just wait until the deadline to do yeah. that. Or at least closer to the deadline to make that move. Whereas if you're getting, say, the one piece you're looking for. And yeah. we've talked about, like, what is that one-piece guy? And Nemec is the guy we talk about with New Jersey, for instance. Yep. Right-hand defenseman. Yep. Would they trade him? That's the question. There's also a uh, wonder if, if they really need uh, another centerman there in New Jersey, too. I mean, the way Jack Hughes and Nico mm-hmm. Heischer have played this year, uh, Bo Horvat would probably be their third-line center unless they move one of those guys uh, to the wing. It's almost like um, when, when you put it to me that way, I'm kind of thinking like when you go, uh, you're, you're, you're negotiating for a car, you'd be like, you give me this price today. I'll buy the car right here, right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, I'm not sure I'm giving you that price. That's going to be 3000 less than what I'm asking for. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know if I, maybe I'll do that in a month. Yeah. But today, I don't know. No, like, t- I, today, I'm, I'm not doing that. This car's today. only been on the lot for two weeks. Yeah, I'm not exactly. in a rush. I- I'll wait for it. And, and that's kind of part of it here. And I know our dog's asking for names, you know, for, for players. And we've actually mentioned a lot of names. And last week, we did the... Five teams I could be interested, five names to watch out for. And we mentioned guys like uh, Patrick Nemich, of course, and, and some other players as well. Um, but 
if you look at, say, the Minnesota Wild. Yeah. Now, that's a really interesting team. I've I've looked at the Wild yeah. going back into the offseason, whether it was Miller or Horvat, because, you know, they have a glaring hole at center. They are very much in a win-now mode because yeah. of the situation they have, having bought out Zach Parise and Ryan Suter. They have those two contracts – and the penalties for buying them out increase mm-hmm. for the next two seasons beyond this one. So this is an all-in year for the Minnesota Wild, who, after a bit of a slow start, have really been playing well lately. But yeah, like you're still looking at Eric Sinek and Ryan Hartman and Frederick Goudreau being mm-hmm. their top three centermen. And they've added Sam Steele. It's like they kind of have four of the same guy. And yes. While Erickson is legitimately a, a, a good two-way guy. A He's really shut good down player. Guy. Yeah. And Hartman had a fantastic year last year playing with uh, Zuccarello and Kaprizov. But, but he's more of a winger, really. Yeah. He, he's not, as we saw in the playoffs, he's not truly a centerman that makes a big difference for you. No. And if you look at their cap situation, of course, the next couple of years, they still have, you know, $7 million on the or, or like about what? Eight million in dead cap space, yeah, um, because of the Suter and Parise buyouts. So they're still really on the hook to to take that on the chin for a few more years. So that's fourteen really... million in dead cap space, eight million each, eight almost. million each. So that's next season, right? Yeah. So yeah, so that's what we're talking about. So the next two years, you're talking fourteen million. Yeah. So they're somewhat restricted for the next couple of years. Even if they trade for Bo, they can't sign him. But if they feel like they have a chance, would they be a team that's willing to trade one of their one of their prospects? And if you're looking at names. You know, and again, this is us talking about a team. I'm not saying yeah. that you know Minnesota's called or anything, but we're looking at teams that could. Again, people asking for names. You look at fits. What could happen? A team that I really wonder about is the Minnesota Wild. Marco Rossi. Yes, five nine forward though. Yeah, five nine center. He's been a point of game in the A. Yeah, very was, talented. Was a really high pick mm-hmm. a couple years ago. 21 has had some injuries, but has really performed in the AHL. It just hasn't yet translated for him at the NHL level. It comes down to how does Vancouver view him? Yeah. You know, and would is Minnesota ready to trade that guy? Mm. Have they soured on him? Because he's somewhat stagnated because of some stuff that's happened with him the last couple of years since being drafted. But he's still considered a high-end prospect for them, a young player. So he's a guy that you would wonder about. The, the guy I do wonder about is a defensive prospect. And I think you... Yep. are also intrigued by this player. Uh, Carson Lambos. Uh, now, they traded Kevin Fiala away in the summer, and they got Brock Faber, who's a right-shot yeah. D-man, um, still unsigned as he's playing in uh, the NCAA. But Carson Lambos would be their other big-time D prospect. And despite the fact that Minnesota maybe hasn't been drafting so high the last couple of years, turns out uh, since uh, bringing Judd Brackett into the conversation, they've uh, had some really good drafts. So they still do. And you look at some of the uh, prospect evaluators, like they are considered to be one of the deepest prospect pools in the league. They do have a lot of young players. And one of the things, too, is, again, this comes down to the evaluation of management here and their scouts and how they view these guys. Like maybe they like Rossi. And again, like maybe they love him and think he's the guy. But maybe they like look at a guy like Carson Lambles, to your point, and say, we project him to be a top four steady defenseman. Yeah, and he's going to be a cornerstone player for us. He's only 19 years old. He may be only a year or two away. I think that's what they want. I think they would love to get a player back who they can. I mean, if they can play him right away, I think they would love that. But by next season or the year afterwards, can you start making an impact for us? Ultimately, you know, that's how these trades end up getting done. If they are to get done, it's because there's that one piece that you know the trading team 
really loves. You think about the Buffalo Sabres deal for Jack Eichel. It waited and waited and waited because Vegas wasn't willing to put Peyton Krebs into the deal. And then finally Vegas was like, okay, just, just take him, take Peyton Krebs. We'll do it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how that deal ended up getting done. But Buffalo held out to get Peyton Krebs in that. Deal. Yeah. And it's easier though, because, um, you had term on Jack yeah. Eichel's contract. You don't have term here on Bo Horvat's contract. And that's why a team might be reluctant to give up that higher end prospect. So one of the interesting parts of a, any negotiation, if the Canucks go down this road with Horvat um, in the lead up to the deadline, do you allow teams to talk to Horvat? So I think you do only if you have such an overwhelming package. Yeah in a good deal that you have to throw it by Bo to accept. But generally speaking, I don't think, I don't think they would like, I, I think they would like to make the trade without allowing anybody to talk to Bo. Yeah. Cause once you allow, you start adding so many variables into the equation. Once you allow a team to talk to Bo, number one, it being it, it takes away some of your leverage at that point. It almost it, it falls gives, apart. It almost gives Bo trade protection in a way. It does. And it also, if, if it falls apart, it really ruins your leverage. Yeah. Cause number one, then, People around the leagues are realizing what it takes to sign Bo, where Bo wants to go. That becomes far more real. I think it does hurt his value because it's like, hey, you're not going to get what you wanted because yeah. he, he's not signing with that team. So other teams look at it and say, hey, if he wants to be here, it's kind of like we mentioned the Giroud trade was different because he said he didn't want to go anywhere except yeah. for Florida. He could really choose where he wanted to go. Yeah. If you open up the discussion for Bo, it becomes, to your point, like a no trade clause. You ruin your leverage. I think they would love to make a trade without at any point allowing the team to talk to Bo Horvat. At the same time, you know, we have seen when teams do the uh, trade and sign type of deal, the return package is generally a little bit larger. Yes. Right? Um, But it, it all comes down to, and this is one of the things about that, there's not a ton of cap space around the league. And there's still an uncertainty of how much the cap may actually rise in the off season. So it, it, it really is hard for teams to sort of project that out, especially when a lot of the contending teams basically have no cap space whatsoever and probably don't have a ton even going into next year. If we assume the $1 million cap raise once again, but you know, Everybody points to the Mark Stone deal a couple of years ago when he went to Vegas. Like mm-hmm. Vegas had a ton of cap space. They were still a uh, sort of an expansion team. And they end up giving their top prospect in that deal as well, Eric Branstrom, who at the time was a big-time prospect and was like, oh, this guy might be the next Eric Carlson, some of the hyperbole. Obviously, it hasn't worked out that way for Branstrom. No. But he was that kind of a prospect. So the way to get maybe the prospect you talk about, Sat, is – for the team to want to sign Horvat yeah. as part of this deal. No, and and again, I think the offer has to be so overwhelmingly positive for them for them to go to that level. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like so I think generally they would like to avoid that situation if possible and see if that bidding war would get to a stage where a team just says screw it, like well, I'll ma- I'll make this deal no matter what. Like here's yeah. what I'm willing to give you no matter what we're doing here and I think that would be certainly something they they would love to do. Uh, Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Some other, you know, teams that are obviously in this conversation for Bo Horvat, the Boston Bruins. Now they definitely have a history of 
when they trade for a rental at the deadline, they like to sign that player. Hello, Hampus Lindholm from last year. And while it didn't necessarily work out last year for Lindholm, look at the season he's having now. He's been unbelievable for the Bruins because it just seems like they're able to resurrect every single player in the league should they want to. But again, um, from the Canucks' perspective, this all comes down to you can name any team in the league that's currently in or around the playoffs. They'd probably have some level of interest in Horvat, but do they have that piece that the Canucks truly covet? I think that that ends up being what mm-hmm. you know moves the needle for Vancouver in any kind of a Horvat trade, no matter who the team is. Yeah, and, and I think that's kind of what it is more than anything else. And I think the real interesting part about all of this is which team has the most desire to make this happen? Yeah. Because there are a lot of teams that are interested, I think. Interested in, you know, kicking tires, interested, asking, and again, willing to do the little things here and there. Yeah. But is anybody willing to say, hey, like, Bo is the guy we want is going to put us over the top. Minnesota, I look at, again, just wondering, are there a team that look at it that way? Because you have somewhat a limited window, you have some young players, you have a chance. The West is kind of wide open this season. Do you feel like this is your chance to win a cup this year? And that's the type of player you're missing. They uh, feel like a team that could really try to go the extra mile, uh, at least in my opinion. I felt that way about Minnesota for a while. It just seems, you know, it, whether it's Bo or Ryan O'Reilly, both of those players make a ton of sense for Minnesota uh, as they uh, look to push for a Stanley Cup this year. Now, uh, Jim Rutherford did a uh, couple of interviews uh, with Pittsburgh media and why 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 does this um factor into this uh conversation sat well part of the conversation yesterday in in the locker room uh, at at beer league was there's a segment of the room that's like you got to trade horvat you know like i'm tired of seeing the same thing over and over again then there's another corner of the room that's like how do you trade your captain he's got 30 goals He's on pace for 50. He's been everything to this franchise. And you're just going to go trade him away? So that's kind of... That's kind of how people feel. But again, it's... It's kind of Canucks Twitter right now. Yeah, but that's kind of being caught in the moment, right? Like, you have to... We talked about this last year. you got to make tough decisions. Yeah. You know, and you can't bring everybody back. You can't bring everybody back and feel like the team's going to improve. And Rutherford, when speaking, was was asked a couple of questions about the situation in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And this is in uh, Pittsburgh Tribune Review. I knew it was going to be a challenge. We had some work to do to improve the team. It's been a little bigger challenge than I expected to unravel the cap situation here. The sooner we can do that, the sooner we can move forward and improve the team. So it's Rutherford and, and this whole Horvat conversation, you know, the cap situation has been a little bit more difficult to unravel than expected well that forces you to doing something you may not have wanted to do in the first place but now are almost forced to do because of a lack of avenues elsewhere yeah and that's something that rutherford told us in the now infamous interview from a couple of months ago we may end up having to do something that we didn't initially really want to do. Well, and, and that's the realization. And we kind of joked about this last, you know, even throughout the course of the offseason. When Rutherford came in, there was a lot of, you know, gusto about we got to make tra- trades, yep. we got to get rid of cap space, there's a lot of stuff that we got to do, we're going to be aggressive, and we're going we're gonna to get this done. 
And then it was a realization of, oh, it's, it's a lot harder than, than, than I thought to try to move some of this stuff out, right? Oh, there's a flat cap and nobody wants any of these guys. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a lot harder <laughs> you know, to, to move out a lot of these players. And I think that's part of it as well. And, and yeah, I think they're willing to do some other stuff, but it's not, I still don't think they're willing to just do stuff for the sake of doing it. You yeah. know, it's, it's about, can we do something that allows us to get some younger players and to get some players that will help us out? And give us some flexibility. You know, it's not just like, oh, I guess we got to trade Thatcher Demko now because we're not going to be good. You yeah. know, like it, it, it's not that. It's more about can we accomplish the things we want to accomplish by doing some things we weren't really considering to do initially when we came in. And every reset or I don't want to say rebuild, but like quick reset, whatever you want to call it, whatever term you want to use for it, does involve trading away a big piece. You know, Um People laughed at the Seahawks uh, for saying, you know, that, that they want to remain competitive even after trading away Russell Wilson. And, you know, they traded away Russell Wilson. They still end up with a, with a high-end draft pick, and they make the playoffs. But they had to still yeah. make a big move in order to reset the franchise and set it into a different direction. Uh, some of that was forced, obviously, by what Russell Wilson wanted. And But even you think of hockey examples, too. Go back as far as the Bruins when they traded away Lucic and, and Martin Jones and got a bunch of first-round picks. None of those first-round picks amounted to anything, but it gave them the chance to reset that team, and that's why they've been good, mm -hmm. not just you know when they beat the Canucks over 10 years ago now, but still today they're the best team in the National Hockey League. So all of these things are you know clearly have to be a part of the plan when you are resetting it, and it just uh, seems that Bo Horvat is that player that's going to be it for the Vancouver Canucks, at least from my opinion. Uh, Dan Riccio, Satyar Shaw. We'll keep this going. Frank Saravalli is going to join us. Daily Faceoff had a piece on Bo Horvat today, and uh, we'll get his thoughts on the latest as the trade market develops around the Canucks captain. That's next on Canucks Central. <laughs> Canuck Central in the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company, helping local business since 1892. Let's bring in our next guest. It is uh, Frank Saravalli of Daily Faceoff. I'm going to do one of these things. It's a, it's a dangerous question because I, I'm not sure what the answer might be, but uh, one of our listeners wants to know, Frank, about Chicken Wing Gate. Ooh. Uh, so what is a typical <laughs> like number of wings for one to eat in a sitting? Ooh. I, so man. Faber says it's, it's 30. 30? That's a lot. That's what, 30? I told him that was really aggressive, and they looked at me like I was dumb. <laughs> I mean, isn't that like and three pounds? Like, I am a fat guy, and I said 30 is too many. Well, it depends on the type of wings. Because, I mean, if in the States, I've seen some of the wings in the States, and one wing, like in <laughs> Buffalo, is the size of like a chicken thigh, like a drumstick. <laughs> so that's a bit different. So depends sat, on the types of wings, I suppose. I feel like this is an important question to ask. Are you a, a drumstick guy or a flats guy? Ooh. Uh, so... 
drumsticks are tastier. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I'm a drumstick guy. But I think I, the meat is weirder. It is. Well, flats are really good too. I, I see. It's got to get could cooked order properly. Just flats. I would do just flats. Wow, you are <laughs> like. I think you're in the minority on that. I'm. I'm definitely a drumstick guy. Oh. All right. Well, hey, to each his own. That's what makes the world go round. I'll just say 30, 30, <laughs> 30 wings is a lot for for one sitting. That's like three pounds. You order them by I the pound. I told him that's usually. a three thousand calorie bomb. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it sounds tasty. Now I'm hungry. Uh, all right, uh, let's uh, let's get into some hockey talk. And uh, up at uh, Daily Faceoff today, you've got um, a little bit of a profile on a deadline target. Just so happens to be. Bo Horvat. And we, we spent a lot of the first segment talking about Bo now up to 29 goals on the season. You know, we believe the Canucks are still going to, to make at least one more run at getting a contract signed with Bo, but you know, it, it does feel like all signs are pointing to Bo being potentially the biggest available asset at the deadline. Yeah. And there's a good reason why he's the number one trade target on our board. It's a monster contract year at a time when centers are so rarely available and someone that's hitting free agency sort of right in the prime window to do so, Mm -hmm. you know, 27 years old, not 31 and really has the ability to be an impact player for a long time. Now I want you guys to tell me if this is hyperbole or not, but I think this week in particular is one of the biggest weeks in Canucks franchise history Mm. because the entire front office is scheduled to gather later this week in Florida as the team is down there with their amateur and pro scouting meetings. And my guess would be usually they chart a path forward as to how they're going to manage and approach the deadline that with everything that's happened this season and everything that hangs in the in the balance of the future of where they head, I, I just think this week is so critical for Vancouver to 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 mm-hmm. come up with a blueprint, come up with a playbook, a plan to figure out where they're going. I'm with you on that, and one of the things that I've kind of heard around the league is that there are you know there, there are quite a few teams that have interest in Bo Horvat, and why wouldn't they, especially contenders? The biggest hurdle is the cap space situation. The question is, how many of those teams have started really expressing that interest to the Canucks already? I would say it's... I don't know the number, but I would say that what's so fascinating about how the NHL does business is that you wouldn't believe the number of requests that come through other sources to try and find out information. Mm. Like there's so very rarely a team that, or manager that's that likes to move first and sort of make the first call. And it's, it's never a, Hey, I'm calling to find out what the cost is for Bo Horvat. You think it would be that straightforward and simple, but it's not. No one wants to tip their hand. No one wants to seem over eager. Mm Mm-hmm. And now is also, as I just mentioned, amateur and pro scouting meeting month. Teams have already started meeting. The The Maple Leafs conducted theirs last weekend here in Philly. And it, some teams don't do it till later in the month of January that, you know, until those meetings have been conducted, there's usually very little business that's done before then because everyone wants to make sure they get their ducks in a row and everyone's on the same page. 
It, it almost feels like uh, the the all-star break tends to be uh, when, when things start to really kick into gear. After everybody gets these scouting meetings done and then they really set out their plans for what they want to go out and get ahead of the deadline. Dan, I was just saying today that I think this week, or excuse me, all-star break with the bye weeks being conducted before and after is really the perfect time to make a trade to give, you know, if you can, you know, make it work to give your player the opportunity to get comfortable during that bye week and settle mm-hmm. a lot of the off-ice issues that come with a trade, finding a place to live, bringing your family in, getting them comfortable. That's a unique opportunity with the bye weeks back for the first time since 2019 to do something like that. Yeah, it's certainly lining up to that. And the thing I we, we've been talking about as well is like on the Bo Horvat front, as far as an offer goes, it really comes down to how badly a team wants him, right, Frank? Because if we're talking about the traditional trade deadline package of a first round pick and a prospect, maybe, you know, another, uh, you know, mid round pick or a second round pick or something like that, this will probably drag out until the trade deadline or close to it. Mm-hmm. Is a team actually willing, like, which teams do you think could be motivated enough to give the Canucks the piece they're looking for to, to get ahead of it by that degree around their all-star break? I don't think any are standing out in terms of being over-eager to pull something like that off. A lot of, for the reason I just mentioned, unless unless I'm missing something, unless there's been some communique that mm-hmm. has gone back and forth between teams that you know, someone has really indicated they're willing to pay a premium. If, if that were the case, it would have already happened, right? Mm-hmm. I would think. Um, and I also think you're right in that it would be right to expect one more push from the Canucks to at least get the, you know, sort of confirmation that they're not in the ballpark to get a new deal done. Mm-hmm. Frank Saravalli, our guest. So um, you, you kind of size up the market uh, in, in this piece on Bo and, and look at, you know, trade returns around this time of year for an asset like Bo Horvat. And I think from the Canucks perspective, it's always been about getting that one prospect that they really love, knowing mm-hmm. that the first round pick is probably going to be in the 20s or towards the end of that first round. And it's not always as valuable as it sounds when the trade is made, but it's kind of hard to get that premium asset for just a rental, isn't it? It is, and that's why I, I included the idea of here's what the return might look like if it's a trade and sign, which I think is probably more likely in that if it is just the rental, I think Sat is is bang on that this could linger for a while mm-hmm. and go right up until the deadline. But my guess is that whatever team is willing to unload those types of assets that the Canucks would be looking for, that they're probably going to want to lock the player down knowing that they gave up so much to get him. They don't want just one, you know, six to 14 week run of Bo Horvat in their lineup. They want him to be a franchise centerpiece Mm -hmm. for the next number of years. And so um, that's why I pointed to the Mark Stone trade from uh, Ottawa to Vegas and the extension that followed shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. And I think what's important to point out about that, um, especially when you look at the return, which the centerpiece of that was Eric Brandstrom, who a lot of people considered at the time to be the best prospect currently playing outside of the NHL at the time the deal was made, that maybe it's a reminder that even though it's way more comparable 
uh, Horvat to Stone rather than J.G. Pajot, who was another uh, trade and sign piece, coincidentally enough, from Ottawa to the Islanders, that sometimes it's better to get the picks than it is to get the prospect because the prospect doesn't always pan out, and Mm -hmm. you're also dealing with a team that's ready to give up the prospect that has typically more intelligence than you do. So I think there's always some caution in that. But I, I do think there's no question that the return would certainly be stronger for a team that's that's likely to uh, to sign to trade and sign. Yeah, and I think the only way a rental a team is willing to give that price for a rental is if they actually think this is their window to win a Stanley Cup. And I keep looking at teams, and I'm like, okay, maybe Colorado, but the Colorado won last year, and are they really a team that's going to go out there and, and give everything they have to make that type of a deal? I'm not quite sure they're there. I wonder about the Only Minnesota. Only if they could keep him, right? Right. And, and even then, like that might be hard with their situation. And so with, with a team like Minnesota, I know you mentioned Minnesota before, especially because they have the big cap hits next season as well, $14 million and the year afterwards. And you look at the comp, the division they're in, they're not that far off from maybe being the best team in the division. They need a centerman. Mm-hmm. Is that the type of team that may look at it and say, we'll pay that price because we feel like this might be our winner to win a cup this season? See, I would have a hard time believing it. And part of the reason for that is because those cat those dead cap hits, to your point, increase. They go from 12 yeah. and change to 14 and change the next two years. That you actually need as many young assets and draft picks competing for spots and playing and contributing to your lineup that are on entry-level contracts. And so maybe you're looking at a pick that would be involved further down the line and maybe only one prospect that doesn't cripple you if you're, if you're moving. But I, I, don't, I don't get the sense that Minnesota is any sort of, you know, win now, like we must do everything we can to go all in. Like, that's, I don't think that's really their style. And I think similarly to Carolina, he's almost an I- Horvat is almost an ideal, perfect, stylistic fit for everything that the Canes would like to accomplish. Ideal second-line center, um, can play the bumper spot on their power play and make their power play infinitely better, can win you huge draws uh, in critical times of the game. Although I found it was interesting doing this research for this player profile that Bo is, is 10% better on faceoffs in the offensive zone as compared to the defensive zone. I was surprised to find that out. He's just a shade over 50-50 in the Canucks' own end, which I would not have expected or guessed given how good he is, his overall numbers. Um, but nonetheless, he's perfect for Carolina, yet the cap space is going to be an issue, and they have the assets, I think, to get it done, but that's not their MO. Their GM, Don Waddell, just said, Last week, I think it was, on the Jeff Marrick show that he'd be hard-pressed to change their thinking, which usually involves not going all in because from the top down in that organization, their Mm -hmm. thought process has always been, let's try and extend this window out as many years as we can. Winning in hockey is random. And that if you just give yourself enough chances to be that team, that at some point over the span of 10 years or whatever it is that you're competitive, you'll find one year to break through. Sort of like how St. Louis won in what was probably not their best year. And you saw Washington the year before that after so many unbelievable President's Trophy winning teams and, and un, unfailing first round exits that they finally break through. So that's Carolina's thought process that they'd have to change that 
in order to then go after Bo or the price would have to considerably change and maybe they just monitor and then stalk it. Yeah, and they're not the team that uh, tends to pay guys uh, in, into their mid-30s as Bo is, is likely to be on his well, next maybe, deal. Well, maybe, Dan, in that case, that's when they would be the team to go the other direction and say, you know what, we're not going to pay him. Yeah. We'll, we'll pay big just for a rental, and then we'll try and recoup, I don't know, 20% of these assets when we try and trade him and his rights in the summer. Now, you mentioned Bo and, and uh, the, the face-off numbers. Uh, I'm kind of curious because you, you do go quite in-depth at Bo's strengths and some of, uh, you know, some of his, his weaknesses in his game as well. And you know, we often hear, like, Bo is, is the most, among the most complete centers in the league. And, you know, we've always sort of looked at that and, and wondered, like, is he as good a defensive center as he gets talked about sometimes around the league? And when you popped the hood, what did you find? And, and do you think the reputation almost uh, is, is higher around the league than, than maybe what we've actually seen from Horvat at times defensively? Um, I would say that the reputation is higher in your market. That when you look at his game and look at it really closely and watch game by game, shift by shift, and really hone in on his specific play, that there are some deficiencies defensively. A lot of times in terms of puck watching, some of it is also in terms of footwork and skating. And it's not from any... Um, lack of want or effort or compete level or anything like that. Part of it is just pure defensive awareness. And I think when you watch him hone in on the offensive awareness, that really comes natural to him in terms of being in the exact right place at the exact right time. Um, I wonder if that's actually in some ways a little bit more teachable. Like he does battle for loose pucks. You know, he can block shot like he's not afraid to do any of that stuff um, and he can arrive in the right spot at the right time but some of the lack of footwork I think hinders him in handling the right assignment and, mm -hmm. and quick strike plays through seams so I think that's part of it um, and I really really drill down on on watching some of that to, to say Hey, what it like? We know that he's known as a complete player, and he's certainly way more complete than most. But I think I say all that to say that he's not perfect. Yeah, and there are certain flaws that exist from time to time in his game. Well, and you know what you just outlined, and I thought your scouting report on Bo was, uh, you know, almost perfect in terms of you know how I see it as well. And because he's a really good player, but he is flawed. And for a team like Vancouver that has real clear deficiencies in need of those two-way centermen, those two-way forwards, and where they find themselves, I just wonder if it makes sense to be paying Bo the money he's looking for, eight times eight or something along those lines. So the question does become, because we always, you know, we hear stuff too, right? And this always happens during the season. The hype gets out of hand. We, we, we hear the numbers are really massive. And to what you're mentioning, you take a deeper look, you really start seeing some of the flaws. Ultimately, what type of money is Bo looking at in free agency? Like, is a team willing to give him more than what JT Miller got? Like, would a team actually give him eight or nine million over seven years? Like, I, th I think someone would do five years or something, but does the team really view him to that degree? I think there's certainly someone out there that's going to pay it and say, you know what? Who cares about the last two or three years of this deal? It's going to be someone else's problem whoever's running this team next to deal with. There's so few centers that are really of any impact that 
if you think he's the guy, you have to act. And so I pegged the contract at eight years times 8.25 million. That's 66 million total. And yeah, it is above JT. And I think part of it is recency bias. Part of it is the market. Part of it is the fact that he's so much younger than Miller. I think that's a huge aspect of it. And it's so interesting, and you guys have done it to death, to compare and contrast Miller and Horvat and their impacts on the team. <laughs> yeah. you, have we ever. You can, you can go about it in so many different ways. I just think – I believe there's some team, and this is not conjecture on my part. This is what I'm told, and, it's, and it, just so you guys know and the public knows because I do get this a lot in my social media feed saying, oh, why are you doing the agent's bidding? This isn't coming from the agent. Yeah. I'm telling you that there's one team out there that says, if necessary, they're willing to go to nine Wow. for Bo Horvat. Now, there's a lot of things in play. One, he'd have to make it to market in order for that to happen. And two, you know, he's got to want to go there. And three, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I just think there's such a huge possibility that he doesn't ever make it to market right that that number might not mean anything at all um it, it is going to be tough to see Bo get to market just because everything we've talked about even if there is a trade in place it could make a lot of sense for it to be uh, one of those trade in signs now the the rest of the trade market is sort of interesting in this and st louis has ryan o'reilly who's out with a broken foot right now but you know, how does that potential trade market impact uh, Bo Horvat, if at all, Frank? I would say not really at all. I think the name to watch from a pure Canucks perspective is Dylan Larkin because yeah. I, I I wrote about this at the tail end of the piece, and I just think that that has the ability to throw everything off. I think that could really, if, if somehow, some way, the Red Wings are playing hardball, they're out of the mix, and Steve Eiserman throws his hands in the air and says, you know what, we'll trade you. And maybe that forces Dylan Larkin, who spent his entire life playing in Michigan, you know, national development program, plays at, at University of Michigan, Red Wings, and lived through some really lean years with this team. If they're not able to come to terms, all of a sudden you have the same market of teams. And they're looking at it and saying – well, Dylan Larkin, at least historically, has higher offensive upside that we can bank on. And we didn't even really get into the repeatability factor for Bo yeah. that I tried to drill down on in, in just a surface way with, with shooting percentage, but also really looking at how many of the goals that he scored this year were off of deflections. I think it's nine. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. How many, how many years are you going to be able to repeat that? I don't know. I, I think the answer is he's probably closer to the same guy, 30-30, that we've seen from him in his career. And I think some of what he's picked up from Adam Oates can be done again. But I think there's been an extraordinary bounce. The power play stuff is repeatable. Even strength, probably not. Like He's not a 40-goal even strength scorer, I don't, I don't think. So these are all things that people are going to have to weigh out. But if Dylan Larkin enters the chat and he's probably higher offensive upside and doesn't really leave anything left on the table in terms of defense and complete game, 
not to the point that it's that big of an issue. You have you're forcing teams to choose, and all of a sudden that could change the game for Vancouver. Uh, Frank, appreciate the time and the insights as always. Thank you. Thank you guys. Have a good week. Uh, there is uh, Frank Saravalli joining us here on uh, Canucks Central. Some uh, fantastic insights and uh, a really good scouting report on Bo, as we talked about uh, over at Daily Faceoff. Yeah, and you know the, the thing we talked about as well uh, in the opening segment was there was more interest in Bo Horvat around the league. Teams are interested, and there's always the you know kicking tires aspect where somebody says, "Hey, how you doing? That yeah. guy available?" and whatever, whatever. But the actual putting something forward stuff is what's not happening. And like I mentioned in the first segment. There's more and more teams interested in a player like Bo Horvat. And as the next few weeks go on, you start seeing teams get to a point where their cap space accrues to a stage where they can make a deal, especially if Vancouver does retain some salary. And one thing that uh, Frank mentioned, which I think is spot on and a good point, a lot of teams are holding their scouting meetings right now. Yeah, That's where you really get a sense of, okay, here's what we have. Here's how we view our players. And that's what you need to figure out too. It's like, it's like so what's going on with their prospects? What's going on with their young players? Where are we at with these guys? Give me our rankings. It's kind of like, okay, well, here's how these guys have progressed. Here's players we may feel like are more expendable. These are the guys you want to hold on to. These are the guys you may be more willing to trade. Once you know all those things, then the team has a better chance of, or better idea of what they're willing to trade or not, you know, and, and what type of offers they're going to be able to put out there. And that's why over the next few weeks here, we start getting to a point where things start moving. We start getting the teams that are interested. They have their ducks in a row. They can start moving on things. And does that expedite it at some point? Uh, we'll continue this chat around the Canucks and uh, even bring uh, some JT Miller thoughts into the conversation as well. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah, Canucks Central.